there was this mighty rushing wind. It looked like everybody had a fire on top of them. And they began to speak in tongues. But interesting enough, there was also an immediate interpretation. Because the people, at 120 people in the upper room, you'd say, well, they're, they're all knew each other well. Not at all. They didn't even speak the same language. That upper room, there's 120 people and probably 10 different prayer meetings going on in different languages. And all of a sudden, um, they begin to speak with tongues and, and one person understood another guy. I know you don't know my language, but you're speaking my language perfectly, or at least I understand you perfectly as if you are speaking my language. And it says they begin in that time hearing the praises of God in a way they had never heard the praises of God. Now, how did it look to those who don't have gifts or are not born again? It looked like they were drunk and the multitude came around and they're looking at them. For some reason, it was quite a spectacle that was going on. And it wasn't just a couple hundred. It was thousands of people showed up. And, and they said, these guys are a bunch of crazy, drunken nuts. And, and Peter said, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, guys. Nobody's drunk here. This is what was prophesied by Joel, that in the last days upon the young, the old, the free, the slave, the men, the women, God's Holy Spirit would pour out in the last day. And you are seeing this happen now. And then he began to preach Christ and him crucified. And 3,000 people were pierced to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And, and, and they believed on the Lord. It was a powerful thing. And so really you can say, wow, the, the mighty rushing wind, quite a spectacle. And the tongues, wow, that's, that's radical. But what was the real point of it all? The power to be a witness, right? The power that you can tell somebody, Jesus Christ died and rose again on the third day. And he wants to forgive your sins and he loves you. Some people would say, ah, oh, are you done, Christian guy? I got to go back to work. But yet when you're filled with the Spirit, God's power, his Holy Spirit is in those words. And salvation is imparted because you're baptized, power walking in the Spirit. Now, Paul later would say, be baptized in the Spirit, be filled, and keep getting filled. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 4. It was only a few weeks, maybe a few days after the day of Pentecost. And those guys that were in that upper room, they have another prayer meeting. And they said, Lord, we're not powerful anymore. <laughs> Lord, we're afraid. They're persecuting us. We need another baptism of the Spirit. And guess what the Lord did? He shook that place and he filled them with the power of God's Spirit, and they went out with all boldness, preaching the gospel. It doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues or cloven, uh, you know, the embers of fire upon their head or anything. It just says they were empowered again. So we're leaky vessels. Um, it, it's keep saying, Lord, fill me, and keep on filling me. That's, that's really the spirit of what we're doing here in the worship time before the Word on Wednesday night. Come, seek the Lord. No, let's not come and have a song service. Let's seek the Lord. And, you know, Josh and Luke and the guys that have done, have done just a beautiful job to really draw you in.
And that's a time you might just want to stand or get on your knees or come and partake of communion and say, Lord, I need a fresh cleansing. I need a fresh anointing. I need your body that was broken for me to heal me in the present moment. I need the blood of Christ to, to cleanse me, and, and I need your power. I need your love. I need your faith. I need you to work in this issue with my kids or this guy at work. And, and so communion is just coming and meeting the Lord and the Lord meeting you in a unique and, and special way. And the mystery of communion, I, I, I think it's sort of, here it is, be unto you according to your faith, right? And, and uh, the Lord has given us that element, that sacrament, uh, whatever you want to call it, to meet him in power in a, in a unique and a real way. Well, going on in Acts, they, Peter is told by the Lord in a trance to go and meet a Gentile guy by the name of Cornelius. And so Peter obediently shows up and, and he goes, I, I, he says to him, I don't know what I'm doing here. And the guy's like, well, come on in. <laughs> We're all in here having a prayer meeting. And Peter says, I've never in all my lifetime walked into a Gentile's house. Because as Jews, that makes us unclean. But the Lord told me, whatever I call clean is clean. So I'm coming in. And boy, Peter felt awkward and they felt awkward. And they're like, what do you got for us? And Peter just very clinically, in my commentary, says, well, I don't think any of this applies to you, guy. But okay, for us Jews, I'll tell you what we know. And he was telling them the gospel and what Jesus did. And I think the Lord knew Peter wasn't going to give an altar call. So when he finally said, if you believe. And right then the Holy Spirit poured on the entire congregation there in Cornelius's house. And they didn't pray a sinner's prayer. They just all started speaking in tongues. That was the. Conversion. That wouldn't work very good at a Billy Graham crusade, would it? Uh, uh, Pentecostals would love it. Um, but, and Peter's sort of dumbfounded, and, and it gets back to Jerusalem before Peter can get to Jerusalem. And boy, they are mad at Peter for making himself unclean and talking to these Gentiles about their Messiah. And Peter gets back and says, man, I am as shocked as you guys are. But evidently, the Lord has for the Gentiles to get saved. And let me tell you what happened. You, you guys remember Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, right? Well, it hasn't been written yet, but yeah, we'll look around it later. But Acts chapter 2, that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon us and we were all shocked. It's exactly, it was a repeat of that day of Pentecost. And it was on the Gentiles. So I guess God has given to them the same salvation as us. And so somewhere in there, if you would, Paul took young Timothy, we know in Acts 16, and circumcised him because he says our ministry is going to be first to the Jews, secondly to the Gentiles. And so for you to go into the synagogues, which I need you to do that, you need to be circumcised. 
So he did it. Not to be made righteous, but just to be all things to all men. But maybe in there somewhere, before they started off on that missionary journey with his son Timothy, he laid hands on him and prayed for the power of God's spirit to come upon him. And Timothy maybe spoke in tongues or prophesied, or as the power of God's spirit came on him, he began whatever gift it is. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So how many people get the supernatural manifestation, the power of God's Spirit in your life? It says in 1 Corinthians 12, each one of us. So, you're saying, well, I don't have any spiritual gifts. You're supposed to. So maybe you need to step out in faith and get hands laid on you. Maybe God's Spirit would pour on us and, and we would be surprised with tongues or blown away by a prophecy. And he goes on and says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. The word of, of wisdom is is like when the rich young ruler came to Jesus saying, hey, something I lack. And Jesus had that word of wisdom. Go take everything you have and sell it. Go give it to the poor and come follow me. Was that a word of wisdom? That what he lacked was that his money could never allow him to trust fully in God. It was a stumbling block to him. And he needed to get rid of all this finances in his life for him. It was that word of wisdom or the word of knowledge, the woman at the well. Well, you've been married five times before <laughs> and the man you're living with is not your husband. <gasps> I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> and they had a quite a talk to another faith by the same spirit. Paul in his teaching, he was just preaching and he was partway into his message, and he saw this guy who was paralyzed looking at him, and he looked at him, and Paul saw that, that he had faith, and he said, in the name of Jesus, rise up, and, and a gift of faith of being healed right there on the spot, or Jesus telling the disciples, put everybody down, and give me the loaves, and the little boy gave me the loaves and the fishes, the gift of faith to start breaking it, and it multiplied uh, to another, the gifts, plural, of healings by the same Spirit. So some think that that the gift is not in the faith healer, you know, for him to go out and get a white suit and say, yeah, ye brothers and sisters, you know. Um, but it's actually, as you're sick, God will give you individually the gift of, of healings. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another discerning of spirits, to another different or various types, kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But listen to verse 11. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Each one individually. God does it personally. It's a designer thing. 
the gifts of the Spirit, it's, it's for you. And, 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 and God's going to use you in a unique way in the body of Christ through that work of His Spirit. God's an infinite God, right? I mean, I, I love going to the airport, and you're just sitting there for hours looking at all these strange people. You know, I sort of got bored with the zoo. You know, but just people. So it's just like, you got to be kidding me. That guy exists on earth. Um, it's, it's just amazing. Those clothes and that haircut and all the crazy things. God's infinite. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, okay, now, here, list it out. There's seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I think these are categories, and I don't think they're all here, because in Romans 12, he gives us some more. He says there's other types of working of God, and they're, they're, they're actually much more practical than some of these. We're all in the body, but every member has a gift. So verse 6 of Romans 12, So having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the portion of our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in the ministering. Or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So here are some other gifts, and there's some other mention of gifts of administration and the gift of helps, and, and there, there are lists of these. So I, I don't know which one Peter was neglecting, but I, I just simply say, the Holy Spirit, through the written word, is to say, hey, is there a work of God that you know he has done in your life and it's not happening right now? Oh, there was this thing that happened and sort of knocked me out of that good pattern I was in. You know, I got sick for a few months or I had to, you know, have an issue at work or you know, there was this problem I had with this person. And then I, I sort of, now a year has gone by, two years has gone by. And, and you know, I think about it from time to time. I should start ministering once again in this way that was so powerful and fruitful at one time. I don't think the Lord says that's over. I, I, think, I think I need to use that gift of teaching or mercy or counseling or administrations or helps or whatever it is, to get back into that and, and to say, Lord, I don't want to be partially fruitful. I want all that you have. Or maybe the gift that Paul was telling Timothy was just the Word. You're neglecting spending time in the Word. You know, Timothy, when you were really like every day getting up early and spending time seeking the Lord, man, you were prosperous in all that you did. But now you sort of hit and miss, you know, getting, you know, you study a little bit and get the sermon ready, but you're not really seeking me in the word. Man, you used to have that dynamic prayer time with the Lord. I, I had a, a friend in college and it was something God just showed him. He didn't put it on anybody else. But every morning he would get up early and take a shower and he would put on a full suit and tie the whole works, and he would meet with Jesus and just spend time in the Word and prayer. And then he would take off and get his college clothes on and off to college. It was rather strange, but 
at the time I was praying in my closet. So literally didn't have any place to put my shoes. They were out in the middle of the floor. But uh, so, you know, we all have our unique ways. But there was something dynamic in that. There's other ways, just simple Christian foundational things that make all the difference in the world. And you don't really know it when you're doing them. But you really do know how important they are when you stop doing them. But sometimes, you know, it's like, hey, the fire's still warm. It's still getting me warm. I'm still warm. It's like, yeah, but it's, it's down to just embers. It's supposed to be a fire, not an ember. <laughs> and get that fire going again and let that thing be blazing. And it's not just for you, but the gifts of God are flowing. And, and that fire is getting a whole bunch of people on fire, right? Fire begets fire. Well, in verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. In essence, whatever it was, it was out of fear that Timothy has backed off. He is, he is not as on fire for the Lord. <laughs> he wasn't as stirred up in his giftings as he once was. And the reason was he was, what, intimidated, maybe persecuted, Maybe there were some tough guys in the church giving him a hard time that he doesn't have his degree in business administration. I, I don't know what it was, but he, he felt like, ah, oh, I'm not confident anymore. I don't know if, I'm, if I really got what it takes to be the pastor here in Ephesus. I think there's somebody better that could do a better job. So I've sort of been sinking to the back and letting them speak and teach and make decisions. And, and I, I just sort of, you know, I get this anxiety and worry and ah, my stomach's hurting. And I it just, man, I just, I just don't know if I'm qualified, if I'm making the right decisions, if I'm doing a good enough job. I, I'm just thinking that. And he says, man, stop it. But God didn't give you that spirit. That is not coming from God. I mean, think of David going after Goliath. If he started really analyzing this, you know, well, this, it is just a slingshot. Let me, let me think about this. Man, I am such a little boy. He's a giant. I haven't seen him. Man, he looks big from distance. And yeah, I mean, if he really analyzed it, he would start getting insecure, wouldn't he? But he, he said, it's not me. None of it's me. It's by the power of God. It's in the name of the Lord. 100% it's going to be God who does it. And, th and that's definitely all of us who minister, right? None of us are sufficient that any spiritual good could come from us. We're just a, a, a vessel walking by faith and God's grace. And, and we are always surprised. When God works powerfully. So God, so Timothy, get your eyes off yourself. I, I know what it's like. I know others who have had that, that fear, that spirit of, of terror, that spirit of fear come upon them. But you need to get your eyes on the Lord. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the power of the Spirit come upon you. And there's all that you need in his power, all that's there in his love. Maybe he was getting irritable, getting upset, and starting to get bitter at some people there. 
in the church and, and just finding himself cranky and, and, and not being kind. And, and he's like, I'm just, man, I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm worried. And then somebody talks to me. I snap their head off. I, I'm just blowing it in so many ways. And he says, get back in there. Your mind is absolutely fine. You have a sound mind. You have a clear mind. Your, the Spirit of God will help you emotionally and he'll give you the, the fortitude, the strength to do his work. And in verse 8, we see here another area. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you wouldn't think you'd have to tell a pastor this, Right? Yeah, I know some of those academics in Ephesus are really making uh, Christianity look really simple compared to their philosophies and their, their uh, Greek gods or their Roman uh, theologies that sound so intellectual. And, 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 and I know that you've gone out and you've shared the Lord some and had some success. And now lately, every time you share the Lord, it's not so successful. And, and you're just like, man, you know. Is it really everything it says it is? And, and he's backing off. In chapter 4 of this same book, Paul is going to tell him, Hey, God, and I give you the charge. I'm the general of the army. And this is before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who judged the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Is there any other season? There is no other season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And then he says there, there's going to come a time when everybody's going to fail in evangelism. There's only going to be a few people on earth that will have ears to hear. Boy, we're in those days, aren't we? We're, we're now trying to find the needle in the haystack. And once those last few Christians, their last few unbelievers will hear the gospel and believe, there's no reason for us to be around anymore, is there? God's going to rapture us out of here. So he, he said, just, I'm telling you, Paul, and of course I'm telling those end-time believers, there's going to be a day that the, the point of evangelism is more failure than success. It pretty much is that way anyway, right? I mean, the Bible says from the beginning to the end, it's a remnant that is saved. A remnant when Noah was there. A remnant that made it into the promised land under Moses. I mean, you can just keep going right on down. And so it's just the nature of evangelism, okay? You knock on 100 doors and one opens. But you don't get discouraged at 99, right? Because that it's worth it. The knuckles are bare from knocking all the doors, but that one person receives the Lord. Whew, I'm ready to go knock on 1,000 doors with, and get rejected now. And so don't be ashamed of the gospel. But then he says... But here it is, be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's it. If you're doing the work of an evangelist, you're enduring affliction, right? Because Satan's got his claws into people and he doesn't want to let one of them go. And you start sharing the gospel and Satan takes it personally. Because you're basically reaching up and grabbing onto one of those claws of Satan and you're trying to pull it out of that person. And he's like, who do you think you are, you little punk? You know, you're going to mess with me? That's, I own that person. I own the, everybody in the world. 
you know, Jesus hadn't gotten the answer, hasn't figured that out yet, but it's all mine. Yeah, he, he's a prideful, arrogant jerk, that's Satan. And, and we're going to have to pay the price. So Paul says in Ephesians 6, look at my body. I'll show you in my body that I have not neglected to preach the cross of Christ. Just by the scars in his physical body. And then he says, don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Wow. Timothy is, is sort of distancing himself from Paul. He, he's finding that when he tells his testimony about this guy, Paul, who led him to the Lord. And, well, where's that guy today? Oh, he's in prison. What? I mean, how, how could God allow his number one preacher to the Gentiles to be in prison if he's really God? Now, I, I remember the story you told the other day where, you know, James and Peter were in jail and, and the angel let Peter out of there. Well, why isn't God delivering Paul? Maybe there's something wrong with Paul. Maybe, maybe his gospel's not right and God's having to give him a time out and, and shut him away so he'll shut up. And, and Timothy is, is finding that there's a whole group of people that have come out of Jerusalem who are not liking the gospel of grace that Paul taught. They think it's way overboard. And it tells us in Philippians 1, verse 15 to 18, that, that Paul says that there are some out there who are preaching the gospel, but they're preaching it out of envy and strife and selfish ambition, and they preach it in such a way they'll add afflictions to me in my chains. They're saying, look at us, we're successful. We've got this wonderful, prosperous life. We're these eloquent, uh, dynamic speakers. And I'm here to tell you, yes, what Paul said about Christ having crucified is true, but he's, he's neglecting to tell you the law. <laughs> he's neglecting, to, he's making grace look like something that it's not. But Paul says, hey, it's on these guys, whatever they're doing. It's on them. I just rejoice Christ is being preached because even though they're out there, you know, trying to slide under this little nuggets to, to put me down and anybody who's a follower of my gospel, they're off. You know what? People are still getting saved, so I'll, I'll just let it go. But notice at the end of chapter one here of Second Timothy, in verse 15 to 18, he says, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. That's the majority of the churches that Paul started. So the vast majority of Christians in the world had turned away from Paul, among whom were two of his absolute closest friends that he never in a million years would have thought they would reject him. Phygelus and Hermogenes. And in verse 16, ah, just the Lord grant mercy to the household of uh, Oniferous, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain, but 
when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Ah, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So one of my strongest financial supporters, one of those guys who emotionally was there to strengthen me. I mean, he left his home and traveled to Rome and it was dangerous and and uh, it was hard to find me exactly where they had put me, but he paid the bribes and he stayed weeks longer than he had planned and until he found me and met my physical needs and, and shared with me. And now I hear that he's, the peer pressure has got to him and, and he has caved in and he's also saying, yeah, I, I, I think Paul was off. I think that gospel of grace was a little too much. And, um, and now Timothy in Asia, <laughs> one of the star churches in Asia, went to the pastor's conference and they're all discussing Paul. And well, what do you think, Timothy? Hey, you know, guys, let's, uh, let's uh, play some ping pong here. He, he's hearing that he's not standing up and, and, and saying, no, Paul's right, but that he's in prison. It's where God has him. He, he's doing a dynamic prison ministry. And I'm just telling you, the letters he's writing are, are doing as much or more than, than when he was out of prison. God's, you know, Paul is in chains, but as Paul would say, the gospel is not chained. He's physically limited, but the work that God's doing through Paul, not limited at all. My ministry is more fruitful and successful now in prison than it's ever been in my life, he would say. So now, Timothy, you know these guys that were so close, Oniferous in particular, and now you. No, I'm not going to accept that from you, Timothy. You need to, to share with me in my sufferings. You, you need to say, my dad, my spiritual dad's in prison, and I wake up every morning hurting with him, praying for him. All day long, I'm interceding on his behalf. Whatever needs he has, I'm going to figure out how to meet those needs in every way I can. And I'm going to proclaim the gospel that my spiritual father gave me, that gospel of grace that many uh, are offended at, but is the absolute truth. Paul tells Timothy later to come to him quickly, to bring a cloak and some books and a parchment. He says in Hebrews 13, 3, to all of us, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So when one part of the body suffers, what? We all suffer. Boy, th th this is just so relevant to us today, isn't it? And, and yet we, we often just get in our own little world, you know. Um, we, we know of the tremendous sufferings of Christians throughout the Arab world this, these days. We had a Calvary pastor who was in prison in Iran for quite some time. And he uh, recently finally got out after horrible, horrible, horrible torture uh, in Iran. Um, and I guess in the same way now, it's, it's like a few miles away. There's thousands of people putting tents up 
outside of Walmart in Chico. It's, it's freezing cold out there at night, isn't it, guys? And, and yet, you know, we have a, a couple that came Sunday, and they end up being in the hotel right around from where we're living. And um, I just said, what can I do for you? Because I'm really hurting with them. I feel like I lost my house. I feel like, ah, oh, man, I, I'm just, it's not like, oh, it happened to you. <laughs> it didn't happen to me, you know. It's like, oh, I just, I feel for it, you know. And that's the way it should be, right? So I'm praying right now. I'm just crying out, God, what do you have for Calvary Chapel Red Bluff? You know, we're right in between it. God's protected us. One side of us in Reading. Thousands of homes, and the other side of us towards Chico, you know, the largest fire, not the largest, but the most dramatic uh, fire in California history. It's, it's just sort of dumbfounding as they're finding bodies and they can't even identify them at this point. They're just sort of scraping them together, putting them in a bag and stacking them up to try to figure out who those people are later. So... This is, again, where it's, it's part of being filled with the Spirit, that you feel the Spirit, that you, you feel the, the, the hurt when others are hurting. When people are angry, I, I don't think Jesus was on the cross going, I don't want to forgive him, Father. I'm just really mad right now. You know, I, I think of Jesus from the fullness of his Spirit with true love. He wasn't mad at that Roman he didn't, he was, he was so, had so much empathy for those Pharisees. He, he, he so was just hurting for those thieves on each side of him. And he, he just truly said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's, that should be the way we are, fellow sufferers with those who suffer. And then you say, Lord, how can you use me? And we just take our little loaves and fishes, whatever it is, and say, this is, this is it, you know? I mean, if a, if a child came in here with this penny bank of $5.50 and said, I want this to help the fire victims, would, would anybody mock at that and say, what good's that going to do? You know what I mean? What, what would we be thinking? We would just be crushed, right? What is God thinking? How are those going to receive it? So again, we just need to come and say, Lord, what is it? And so we are praying as a church. Uh, in the immediate, there are, are people and organizations that are taking care of some of those immediate needs. But something in the next few months, we need to, to say, Lord, what is it we have? What do we have? Well, we have a building. We've got a bunch of acreage out there. We've got some money. Is that what you want us to do with it, Lord? We have some time. You know, maybe, maybe God just says, no church on Sunday mornings for the next month. We're just going to go out and minister to all those fire victims. I mean, who knows what the Lord might speak, right? And this is what he's talking to Timothy about. There's a, there's a gift of the Spirit in the positive, but there's not a movement of your spirit in suffering with those in chains. Especially me, your own father in the faith. Your spirit is grieved. God's spirit is grieved. You're weak, wanting to separate yourself and be politically correct with those who are wrong. 
Timothy, I'm not letting you off the hook. You're, you're my son in the faith. Interesting, Hebrews 13, 23, we find that Timothy had gotten released from prison. <laughs> so he ended up being in there and learning firsthand. But there are others with Paul, Archippus and Mark and Epaphras that were also in prison because of the gospel. Well, in verse 9, we're going to read it, and then we're going to pick up there next week. Who has saved us and called us with this holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. What is he he's saying here? Who do you think you are, Timothy? You know, this is, this is where I think the damage of the teaching of evolution is so great. Because it subconsciously tells people it's all just pure chance. It's all haphazard, all out of order, a big bang, and, and things happened, and they happened, could have not happened, but they did, and so say la vie, and you happen to happen, and you know, it's whatever you want to do, and we're just like the animals, we all live and die, and, and that's it. And, and, and Timothy is starting to live that way. He's punching the clock and being a pastor and doing the Bible studies, and he's, people are upset, and he's trying to, you know, he's a timid guy. He doesn't, he doesn't want to confront these people, and he doesn't want to preach sharply like he once, once preached when he evangelized, and people got saved because he also got people mad at him and, and for, for telling them they're sinners and need salvation and the bloody cross, and, and he's just... He's just after a few months or a couple of years of doing this, he's, he's getting into a mold that's safe for him, but it's not flowing in the power of God's spirit. It's, it's, it's giving a soft talk on evangelism and the gospel. And he says, Timothy, God has called you before time began. God sees you. The word literally there is, is from vanishing point to vanishing point. God sees you before time began. And as Ephesians 2 says, God sees you seated together in heavenly places. We're here right now. No coincidences. Every hair on your head, every breath you breathe, God has ordained it, right? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works before time began. Understand who you are in Christ. You are somebody who's called. It's a holy calling. It's a calling that Jesus has done. It's by the work of Jesus. You, your works, none of it, none of your works has brought you to this point. Yes, you've been a good Christian some weeks and you've been a weaker Christian other weeks. There's been times that you fought temptation and you were a champ. And then there's times where, boy, I'm just a little too embarrassed to even talk about how bad it was. But you know what? In all of that, God's grace is there. God's working and, and his Holy Spirit is in you. And you need to stop this temporary earth thing. Do, do we realize that our life is just a vapor? Right? I mean, it's just... It's over. And, and so you're sitting here thinking, oh, well, I've got 10 years left. I got 20 years left. I got, and even if you got 100 years more to live, 
it's going to seem like a second, right? We know that. And so you think about it, it's like right now we can pray. Do you think we're going to be praying in heaven? <laughs> right now we can study the word. Do you think we're going to need to study the word in heaven? Right now we can give our bodies as a living holy sacrifice. Can we do that in heaven? Right now I can take money and I can give and help and serve and honor God with it. Are we going to be able to do that in heaven? Right now I can sacrifice my time and serve the body of Christ, wash feet, help orphans, help the sick. Is there any sick, any orphans in heaven? Is there any leaky pipes in heaven? <laughs> Are there any hospitals in heaven? Do you understand? We've got this second to give our lives as a living holy sacrifice to God and never again in eternity can we sacrifice again. Do you realize that? We're going to be in our brand new bodies that want to please the Lord as much as our spirit do. So in heaven, there's not going to be any denying ourselves, beating our body in subjection, taking up that cross and follow Jesus. There is none of that going to be going on. You've got this moment. That's it. Love one another. Forgive one another. Serve one another. Say, God, I, everything I have, I, you, you, I'm not the rich and ruler. You didn't say it to me, but I'm saying it to you. Lord, you, you want me to give everything I have to the poor and come follow you? Yes, Lord. Whatever you want, Lord. I don't care how difficult I don't care how much I have to give or serve. I don't care how much pain or suffering or sacrifice. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I am standing here right now because God, before time began, has a calling on my life. I need his love. I need his power. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need gifts of the Holy Spirit. I need, to, I need God's grace to be diligent in the word and in prayer and, and sharing my faith and discipleship, being discipled and discipling, and, and to realize that this is a great and holy calling, not for us, but according to God's own purpose. See, that's, that's when you know you're really born again. James says, you say, I have faith because, oh, well, I believe historically Jesus Christ lived. The demons know that. They used to live in heaven with him. There is total faith in demons that Jesus exists. That doesn't mean they're saved. Well, you don't understand. I have an emotional experience. When I hear Jesus and amazing grace, I cry and I just have such a tender heart. Well, demons bow down. They have an emotional response. Jesus, Son of God, you know, don't, don't punish us before the time. Bow down. Don't, we, we know judgment's coming, but just throw us into these pigs so we don't go into the dry place. And the, they have, they, have, they believe me, when demons are around Jesus, they were emotionally stirred. Does that mean they're saved? What is true saving faith? It's when we say, Jesus, we want your will no matter what. We want all your will. We want to serve you and please you and love you and give our bodies as living sacrifices for you. Are demons doing that? <laughs> demons 
they, they don't want to bow to Jesus. They don't want to submit to Jesus. They don't want to do his will. And here he's saying, Timothy, get it. It's not just like, oh, well, if you live as a Christian, great. Yeah, if you're a good pastor, that's better than being an average pastor. He's saying, Timothy, God has a purpose for your life. He preordained before time began these wonderful, powerful works that you should walk in them. And that's for all of us. Amen? Lord, we come before you now and, and ask that all of us would be moved by your spirit. If any tonight need to be grieved by the spirit because they're not walking as they ought to walk. They're not walking in obedience. There's some areas that are clearly compromised and they're planning on continuing it even tonight. Lord, bring the power of your conviction upon us. We know there's no condemnation. We know you weren't trying to condemn Timothy. But you're definitely trying to shake him out of his comfortable mentality where he gives little and prays little and seeks you little and serves you little. But Lord, we don't want that anymore. Time is short. We may have another year or 10 years to live for you. Just a few more days, 365 days times 10. We got 3,000 more days to live for you. And it's going to seem like a second. Lord, help us. Wake us up. And Lord, those who are walking and following you, give them a new power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, baptize us again. Lord, we ask that you would baptize all of us here in this room, and we ask you to baptize everybody who's a part of our body. Maybe they haven't come for a year. Maybe they're backslidden two years while they're sitting at home, got a rocking chair with a beer in their hand, watching sports. Just baptize them in your spirit right now. Let them start speaking in tongues. Say, what meaneth this? Or just do a mighty work of your grace and your power in all our lives that we don't just keep treading water, that we are experiencing your dynamic purpose in all our lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. We're here to pray for you over here on each side.